You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. My wife and I, we both had the privilege of being raised in Christian homes. I grew up the youngest of six kids in central Indiana, a little town about an hour north of Indianapolis. And my wife grew up the youngest of four in an even smaller town down in southern Maine. And I was a privilege to be a pastor's son, got saved at the age of six. I was one of those kids that got saved every single Sunday at the end of, the, at the end of junior church. And so one Sunday, it just, it just kind of clicked where I realized I wasn't going to heaven because of my own good works or because I was the pastor's son or anything, or anything I could do, but because of what Jesus had done for me. And so I went to my dad after church and asked him, how I could be sure I was saved. And he showed me from the Bible how I could know I was going to heaven. Got baptized that same night. And my wife got, uh, got saved as a uh, junior higher, actually going out soul winning as a, as a teenager and realized she was out giving a gospel that uh, she hadn't accepted herself. So she got saved then. But um, when I was gr- growing up in a god- godly Christian home, a good Christian church, good Baptist church, I... I was always open to what God wanted me to do, but was ne- never quite sure what exactly that was. As time went on, I believed God had called me into the ministry, and so I went to Bible college uh, in uh, Howells Anderson College in Crown Point, Indiana, for my ministry training. But even then, going all throughout, getting my training, working in the ministry, I wasn't really sure what God would have me to do. And as time went on, I, I believed God was pulling me more towards missions, because I could not see myself staying in America long term. I couldn't see myself staying in a place that had, that had had the gospel for so long and did have so many gospel witnesses and not, and go to, and I couldn't see myself staying here while so many other places in the world needed the gospel. And uh, at the end of my bachelor's degree when I graduated in 2015, I went on a six-month trip uh, to the Philippines to work in a church there where my parents were. And I thought, and I began wondering, maybe this is how God is going to show me where I'm going to go. Maybe this is how he's showing me where I'm being called to. And by the end of my six-month stay there in the Philippines, I was convinced that the Philippines was not the place for me. And, I know, shocking. But it was, and I saw that it was definitely, there was definitely need there. But there had been many missionaries that had gone to the Philippines. There were many Filip- there were Filipino Bible colleges and places already started. There were Filipinos starting churches all over, and I got to meet many of them. And there was a definite need, but there had been a lot of work done there already. And the Lord really just put in my heart that if I was going to be a missionary somewhere, it would be someplace where there hadn't been a lot of work done. And if we didn't go, then they would not hear. And that's when the Lord started bringing, and I started praying and asking God about where he wanted me to go. And that's about the time when the Lord brought Nigeria to my mind. Because you, you heard the numbers right. There's over 200 million people, only four independent Baptist missionaries. And if you take those numbers and apply them to the U.S., can you imagine there being only... The, the U.S. has about 300 million people in it, give or take. And it's about... But if you take those numbers, it would be about six trained pastors in the U.S. Can you imagine six pastors trying to reach all of the U.S. And it just blows your mind just thinking about the amount of work that needs to be done. And that's why we believe the Lord has called us to Nigeria for such a time as this. 
there's uh, going to be three main areas we're going to be working in. And uh, you saw we're going to be working with a missionary who's been there and has been established there, started, uh, start, started a work there that's been going very strong there for the past 15 years. And we're going to be working in three main areas. One being in the public schools in the region. Because the Truth Baptist Church there that's already been started, they have a charter from the head of education of Abuja, the capital city, saying that they can go into any public school in the capital and give regular religious teaching. They can go in, and that includes giving the gospel, that includes discipleship, that includes um, regular Bible teaching, and it's the, it's, the door is wide open. They just haven't really had the manpower to really get in the schools regularly. And so we're going to kind of help spearhead that to be able to get into these schools to reach into, to be able to reach these students for Christ as well as their families. Uh, second area will, pro- will be what they call smite clubs, which are essentially uh, Bible clubs for children, where you'll go into an area, a village, and you'll st- have children come around. Often you'll be meeting on the side of a building or underneath a tree in the middle of their little, t- little village, little town there. And you'll be teaching the children first off how to be saved, but then also you'll be usually be going back week to week and teaching them Bible stories, teaching them th- and teaching them uh, sometimes missionary stories, things like that. And this has been an, proven in a, a, a very effective tool in Nigeria to reach into the families of these areas. Because you'll go into an area, meet the children, often children will get saved, and then you'll be able to reach, and then you'll have a connection into the families and be able to meet them and connect with them. And in fact, of the 40, over 40 churches that have been started there that you saw Brother Holmes mention on the screen, several of those started out as these smite Bible clubs. It started out as a group of kids getting together to learn about the Bible, and then kids got saved and their families got saved and other people in the area got saved until eventually it became a church. And a third area where, honestly, where it's going to be, most of our efforts going to be going into is teaching and training men and helping them to start churches across the country. And I didn't know you were having this, but it's awesome you're having a church planning conference here in just a couple of days. Because that is, that is honestly what the Lord has called us here to do. To not, he hasn't called us to, to social works or to other good works we could be doing, but he wants us to go out and start churches. And that's how we make a difference. That's what God's called us on this earth to do. And so we're going to be, there, there's been a Bible college started there, and there have been uh, several churches that have been started already through the graduates of that college. But I'll be helping training these men, but not only training them in the Bible college with their ministry training, but also I'll be going out with them personally and helping them start into an area as they go and start a church. Because often that's where some of the, a lot of the struggles begin, just in the, in the very beginning weeks and months, just trying to get it off the ground. And so I'll be going with many of these men and help them start a church. And we're hoping to see even more church multiplication of churches across the country. Our, honestly, our vision for what we hope the Lord will do when we're in, while we're in Nigeria is that by the time our ministry is done, we hope to spend the rest of our lives there. But Lord willing, by the time our ministry is done, that if not another American missionary went to Nigeria, the gospel would still move forward. That there will be churches there who will be training people, who will be seeing people saved, baptized, discipled, and will be training men to go out and start churches. And then those churches, they'd be seeing people saved and baptized, and they would be training people to go and start their churches. And just see the multiplication of churches across the whole country. Because if it's, and Nigeria is going to be reached, it's not going to be reached by a bunch of white folks going over there. And, and, and that's not going to make the difference. It's going to be Nigerian men 
going out there and starting churches and church multiplication of churches starting across the country. So please pray for us as we go. We're hoping to be able to go over sometime next year. I'm not exactly sure when. Um, COVID has kind of through has kind of made everyone's plans a little bit wonky, but uh, but we're hoping to go over there sometime next year, Lord willing. And then uh, please pray for us as we travel. We're actually heading to Massachusetts out from here, so we're taking a few days to get there. But we're going to be out, heading out east from here. So uh, please pray for us. We have a table out here back with some things you can look at from Nigeria, as well as our prayer cards. Unfortunately, Emma did not make it onto the prayer card. We had just got word that they were printing the prayer cards, and then we found out we were expecting. And we printed 5,000 of them. So the more, cards you t- the, more, the more prayer cards you take, the, more, the sooner we can get more printed. So if you really want the baby on there, you can take, a little, you can take your pen and draw a stick figure on there. Or have, but we have discovered, traveling along the road, that, these, that our prayer cards, they have multiple uses. Because the way, it's, it's a square shaped and it's perfectly faced where my face is right in the center. So it makes a perfect dot, dartboard. Bullseye, right there. So you can always use that. For, grab a couple if you want to make up for the dartboard. So uh, go ahead and turn with your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to pick up here in the middle of the chapter. For those who have been going to church for a while, it's a pretty familiar story. The story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And you have Jesus and his disciples as they're traveling through Samaria, going through the countryside. And as they're traveling, they stop at a well. The disciples go into town to grab some provisions for their journey so, so they can eat. And then while Jesus is waiting outside the town, this woman comes out during a time that's not the normal time where people normally get their water out from the well. And so, but Jesus starts a conversation with this woman. And they go back and forth and they start talking. And Jesus is leading her to a realization that, she, that he is the Messiah. That he is the promised one that's come. And they're, they're going back and forth for a while. They're talking. And we're going to pick up here in verse number 25. Where Jesus is kind of bringing it all to a close and bringing it to a climax. The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come... Uh, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and came unto him. In the meanwhile, His disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man bought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Let's pray together, and then we'll go ahead and jump into the message. Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord, and all the many blessings you've given us. I pray, Lord, that you please guide us all, Lord, help us to learn from your word today. Thank you, Lord, for a group of believers here who believes that it's important enough to gather here on a Wednesday night. Please, Lord, fill us all with your spirit, Lord, that fill me with your spirit to speak and fill everyone with your power to listen. 
Lord, I pray that we all walk away changed by your word tonight, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Now you have, as, as Jesus is talking with this woman, we find in scripture, that as he's talking with her, the disciples, they return from town. And they come in, and they're kind of shocked that he's talking with her, but they're not going to interrupt him. So they, they see him talking, and then when the, and when the woman at the well, she goes back into the town. And as she goes into town, she starts telling everyone that she's met the Messiah. She starts telling them, I found the Christ, I found the promised one, and he's right outside town. And so as she, go, and she goes around town telling everyone, the men in the village, they start hearing, and then they, they head out of the town to go talk to him. Now, as she's in the village telling everyone that she's met the Messiah, Jesus and the disciples have the conversation outside. And as they're, 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 uh, the woman goes into town, the disciples come down and said, hey, master, eat. And Jesus tells them, you know, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And right away we see the disciples do something that we see pretty, pretty frequently throughout scripture. And it's honestly, it's something that we find ourselves falling into as well. That as Jesus is trying to teach them a spiritual lesson, and they immediately start thinking about the physical. He says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And they think, well, did someone come by and feed him when we weren't here? Did, did someone bring him food to eat? And, but Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. My meat is to do the will of the Father. My, I'm fulfilled by doing what God has called me on this earth to do. Amen. What I just did. Yeah. And then he kind of, it almost seems like he jumps tracks here. And he says, you know, don't say four months and then comes harvest. He, but, which it seems kind of, kind of weird when he's talking about it. He's talking about, you know, I'm doing the will of my father. And then he's talking about the harvest. But uh, they believe that about the time of year where Jesus and the disciples were traveling, it, was, it would have been about four months to harvest. As they were traveling around the roads, uh, the wheat fields that they saw along the side of the road, it would have been about four months. It wasn't harvest time yet. It would have been about four months. But he's saying, don't look on these fields here that you can see around us and say, oh, the harvest time hasn't come yet. It's four months to harvest. He says, look, behold, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, if you look at a wheat field when it's nice and ripe and it's ready to harvest, you'll notice that it's more of a golden color. Even in some of our uh, patriotic songs, you talk about amber waves of grain. But if, and he's talking about some, uh, the fields being white on the harvest. Now, what that's talking about is if, if you leave a wheat field out in the field, it's harvest, it's ready to go, there's nothing wrong with it, but if you just leave it there, it starts growing like this fungus, this mold on it. And it's, it turns it kind of like, like a pasty white color. The, the, the wheat is still good. If you harvest it, it'd still be good. But you know, if you see a white wheat field, you know time is running out. You better get in there and reap that field or the whole, or the whole field is going to rot. You're going to lose that whole crop. And so I honestly believe that as Jesus is telling them, look up, look on the fields, they're white already to harvest. They're seeing these Samaritan people, these Samaritan men, these Samaritan ladies come out of this village to talk to Jesus. And as they're coming out of this village, he says, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. Don't say, oh, the harvest, we, we, we can work later. It's it'll be later when we, can, when we can worry about this. He says, no, look on the fields, they're white already to harvest. And as these disciples saw these Samaritans coming out, I believe that there were, there were three things that they noticed that, I believe that, would, that would be a blessing to us if we start implementing them to our lives. First off, the disciples saw people that were very different from them. 
The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The, Jew, the, the Samaritans and the Jews, they had, a, they, had a, they had a similar ancestry, a similar history, where if you remember back in the Old Testament, when after Solomon died, his son took over, made some foolish decisions, and the kingdom of Israel split into two. You had the ten northern tribes, and then you had the tribe of Judah there in the south. And then the Assyrians, after, a long, after long reigns of evil kings, the Assyrians came down and took the, the, ten, the ten northern tribes, took them away captive. And, but the Jews that they left, the Israelites rather, they left behind, uh, and so Assyrians mixed in, the, the Assyrians settled there, the Israelites they left behind settled there, and they started intermarrying, and that's where the Samaritans came from. And the Jews looked down on them become, because of that. These people from Judah, they, they saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as not as good, quite honestly. And even when, uh, even when Judah, when it was taken captive by Babylon, it was taken away captive and then it was allowed to return eventually. And then when they were there, these, these people that came to be known as Samaritans, when they were trying to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, when they were trying to rebuild the walls, these, these people, these Samaritans, they came down and said, hey, we want to help you rebuild. We're, we're kindred, we're brothers. We want, to help you. we want to help you in what you're doing. And they straight up told them no. Like, we don't want your help. Get away from us. You're not of us. You're not our brethren. And they had, they had pretty revelations from then on. And in fact, the Jews of this time, when Jesus was around, they would often go out of their way to travel around the area where Samaria was and just to avoid them altogether. It wasn't uncommon for if a person had a Samaritan's shadow fall on them, they would go home immediately and take a bath. Because they, I can't believe that they got that close to me. Oh, those dirty Samaritans, I can't believe it. And they, had, they, they were different even Jesus and this lady, when they were talking, she told them, you know, you Jews, you worship on the, in the temple. We worship on the mountains. We do things differently. And they looked differently because the Assyrians, they were from more of the West. They had a lot more European features. They, had, they, they were lighter skinned. Sometimes they had, they had lighter eyes, sometimes even blue eyes, which, what a, what a, what a crazy thing, huh? And they, but it was just, they, were, they looked different. They had a different language. They had a different culture. And as they see these people coming out, they see some people that are very, very different from them. And that's something, honestly, I can relate to because about a year and a half ago, my wife and I, we went on a survey trip to Nigeria. We were there for about three weeks. And let me tell you what, that was a whole lot of different at once. That was being emerged into a whole different world. We get off the plane into the capital city of Abuja, the capital, the international airport. You get off, get the plane, you look around, the lights are all flickering because they don't have enough electricity. There's no air conditioning whatsoever. It's about 90 degrees. There's zero air conditioning at all. You go in there, there's one belt for the entire airport for all the suitcases. And then from there, the difference just kept piling on. First of all, one of the biggest differences, we were the only white folk there, period. Except for that we were staying with the missionary family there, the one you saw on the screen, Brother Holmes and his family. We stayed with them for three weeks. Except for them, we were the only white folk there. That was it. You talk about drawing attention in a crowd. Like, you stand out, for sure. And so, they have a term for, for white people over there. They call them oyibo. And so, it was nothing for us to be traveling around, and you, and you hear, oyibo, oyibo, I want to show you something, oyibo. And so, it was just, it was, they, they see you, they talk to you. We were, we were several times, we're driving down the road, stuck in traffic, and then someone comes up, driving up on his motorcycle, stops by the window, and says, hey, oyibo, I want to take a snap with you. And he takes a picture with his cell phone right there. And so it was, it was crazy. One time, we went to a, a little village called the Zunu, just outside the capital. 
And when we were going out there, the, we saw a bunch of children outside playing. And we went and visited a man in the village there who was a deacon in the church. And then we started going around the other, other parts of the, of the village here. And then we didn't see any of the kids around. And like, they were outside playing just a minute ago. Where'd they go? And so we're, we're looking around. And then we see them all, and all the kids are just hanging around this, underneath this mango tree. And we think, you know, it's hot outside. Maybe they're just trying to get out, get out from the sun. And so, but then our interpreter, he can hear what they're saying. And he starts laughing. And I'm like, David, what, what's so funny? Like, the children, they're all scared of you. Like, why are they scared of us? We, we've worked in children's programs our whole lives. It's like, we love kids. What's, why are they scared of us? And he says, they've never seen Oyebo before. They're scared. They think you're ghosts. <laughs> and so they were hiding from us. And so we were, and so just constantly being surrounded by it. The language would be different. Nigeria has over 200 languages. Uh, right there in the capital, English is pretty prominent. But even then, it's usually what's called a broken or a pidgin English. It's just, you can, when you hear people talk, you can kind of tell it's English, but it does, you can't really quite understand what's going on. Like, like, for example, if you want to ask someone how they're doing, like, how are you? It's like, how you day? How you day? And like, that's how are you? And if you want to say, oh, I'm good, it's oh, define, or oh, defino. That means I'm really good. So, but it's just, you can kind of tell what's going on, but you couldn't really understand it. And just, just the customs and the greetings were very, were very different. When someone would come up and greet you, you know, I'm used to here in the U.S., you know, you're like, hey, how you doing? Good. Oh, awesome. How are you? Oh, I'm good. All right. See you later. Have a good day. With over there, the greeting is a whole drawn out process. It's, oh, uh, how are you? How was your day? How was your night? How was your travel? I mean, how was it getting over that? How was the sun? How are you handling the hot weather? We went in the middle of hot season. Brilliant decision. But it was, but just, how was your day? How, how was the sun? How was your, uh, how was how your wife? How was, and they'll go through all these questions before they even get to what they're there to talk to you about. And so, especially if they know you and they know your family, the missionary family you're with, he has six kids. And so to show, and to begin to show them how much he had cared for him, they would inquire into each one of his family members as, as showing, and showing how much he loved him, how much he cared for him. So, oh, how are you, Pastor? Oh, good. How was the day? How was your travel? How was your night? Et cetera, et cetera. And then, like, oh, and how is your wife? Oh, she is fine. And how is Joseph? And how is Victoria? And how is Brian? And how is Noah? And how is LaDonna? And how is Aaron? And going through each one of the kids. And so he's talking for like 20 minutes before he even gets to what he's there to talk about. And so it's just, we were constantly shocked by all these differences everywhere we went. The food was different. Usually pretty good, but always different. Um, they do eat dog there. Um, we don't think that we ate dog when we were there. But there was a couple of times where we just didn't ask questions. So my, my personal worst experience was eating the snails. Because they, they, fry, they fry up big juicy ones and, and serve them to you. So that was, that was probably my least favorite experience. But just, it was just constantly surrounded by things that were different constantly. Everywhere you went, it was just different. Nothing like I'd ever experienced before. My wife and I, we'd both been to different countries. She'd been to Thailand. I'd been to the Philippines. And so we thought we were, you know, pretty experienced world travelers. Uh-uh. Nothing, nothing good had prepared us for what Nigeria was like. Just the constant differences everywhere we looked. But then I, we started to notice something. The more we started talking to people, the more we 
the more we started meeting people. And we started noticing something that I'm pretty sure that the disciples noticed as well. That seeing the people that were so different and hearing them talk to Jesus and hearing them and hearing Jesus talk to them and finding out that these people really aren't so different after all. Finding out that these people have the same heartaches that they do. That these people have the same issues and the same problems as they did. And start hearing these, these Samaritans talk to Jesus and ask them the same questions and bring to him the same problems that the disciples themselves did when they first came to Jesus. And finding these people that they, they've been, these people they've been taught to hate their whole lives. And just seeing that, the way Jesus loved them and the way they talked to Jesus, that these people that were so different were really pretty much the same. And going to Nigeria and started talking, sometimes we needed interpreters talking with people. Sometimes they, they spoke fairly good English. But as you talk to them, you find out they face the same issues sure. that the Americans face. Yeah. Going to a family that lives in a little hut, that literally their hut is about the size of two of your pews put together here, and that's a fam- where a family of four lives. And... You fi- and going to talk to them and finding things so different, going through the greeting, and then just talking to them and finding out that they're new Christians and they're struggling with, with trying to make ends meet with their finances and trying to make church a priority even though it's never been important to them before. And finding out that it's, it's, it's the same. Going to, a villi- going to a church, to a village church where they, have a tin, where they have tin for a roof. They don't even have walls that go all the way up to the roof. They just have them some, some, some cement or adobe Adobe bricks for our walls, and the, and the sunlight's coming in, no fans, no electricity whatsoever. The, the, the microphone's powered by a battery, and it's, it's incredibly different. Some of the songs they're singing are in Hausa. You don't even know everything they're saying. And, but then you find it, and you hear the preaching in the, same, in the same Bible, the same verses, moves the people in the same way. And these people that seem so different, they're really not that different at all. They're really just the same. And even so, as they start talking to them, finding that what these people needed was Jesus. People that were different, but ultimately still the same. And people and their need was Jesus. People, People will kind of speculate as to what Nigeria needs. Nigeria is a, has a lot of, Nigeria has the potential, I was reading an article not too long ago, to be Africa's first superpower. You know, like, uh, like Russia kind of used to be, like America is now, like China is, that has all these, this, a great amount of influence, but they just can't seem to get their act together. And they started going through all the different possible reasons, because Nigeria, and, this, and people talk about maybe they need to get more money into the country, but Nigeria has lots of money. They have a major oil industry. The problem is it just stays all at the top. There's plenty of money around in Nigeria. But that's not, but that's not what's going to solve the problem. Right. People think maybe if they get, they get education into the country, maybe if they get technolo- more technology into the country, maybe that'll fix it. Well, they, they have technology in the country. They, they, it, it was amazing. You saw it several times. When you see this little shack, this, 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 sh- this, this little house with a, with a thatch roof, with maybe it's maybe it's like a kind of adobe brick or cement walls for their house and they have a post outside their house with a satellite dish because they need to get their tv 
And so people find a way to get their TV. It's incredible. That little house we told you with the, with the new Christian family, they, they, they had, in, the, in their tiny little house, they had a little corner set up just for their TV. It was, it, so it, it was important to have that right there. But technology isn't going to solve the issues. That's not, gonna, that's not what Nigeria needs. And you'll find that what they, we talk, we can talk, it's easy to talk about the problems of the other, the other side of the world. What we find, what they need is exactly what we need. Amen. And they need Jesus. Yes. They need the Lord. In Nigeria, it's hard to find the truth. But I'm glad that some, and, 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 and I'm, it's wonderful in America, we do have, we, there's definitely a need in this country. But there's still plenty of gospel preaching churches. We're in one right now, praise the Lord, as a witness in, in here in this area. But I'm glad that someone showed me the gospel. Yes. I'm glad that someone took the time to tell me the gospel. My dad got saved as a result of watching an a, a, a evangelistic crusade on TV. I'm glad someone took the effort to try to get, the, to get, the, to get this gospel preacher on a TV even just for a little bit. Amen. Every single one of us who's saved, every single one of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Savior, every single believer in here, we're saved because someone, because someone told us, because someone showed it to us. Someone gave us a Bible, or someone gave us a tract, or someone tried to show us, whether it was a family member, or someone from the church, or, or however it happened. Each of us have a story, an amazing story of how God saved us. But it's all because someone decided to share with us Jesus. Because someone decided to give us the gospel, to tell us about what we needed. And it's easy to look at the people around us and say, man, I'll tell you what's wrong with them. But ultimately, what they need is Jesus. And as we look around in our day-to-day lives, it's not too difficult to find people that are different from you. It's really not that hard. And as you look around, we can think, what in the world is wrong with these people? (laughs) Why do they do things this way? Why do they do things that way? Why do they think like that? And we see these people around us, and they're so different. But if we take the time to break down that barrier, to overcome the discomfort of trying to get to know them and trying to give the gospel to them, we'll find that they're really not that different. We'll find that they have the same needs as we do. Their heart yearns for the same things as ours does. And we'll find that their need is ultimately met by the same person. Jesus. And yet I wonder how many of us have just stopped short of giving someone the gospel, have stopped short of trying to witness to someone, or at least giving, or at least inviting them to talk about it because they were different. Maybe they were from a different culture. Maybe they're from a different country. Maybe they just acted weird. Maybe they were maybe they were abrasive. They had some views that you that we didn't agree with, and it's just they, they were different. And we thought, ah, nah, it's not worth it. It's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overcome that wall. I'm not gonna try to break that down. I'm glad that I'm glad Jesus didn't do that. Amen. I'm glad Jesus was willing to 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 to, to overcome that for us. Jesus overcame more barriers than anybody, so that we could be saved. When you think about it, there's nothing worthwhile in us. There's nothing in us that's desirable. Our righteousness, us at our best, our very best is as filthy rags. And yet God looked out on us and chose to love us. 
And God looks at us, and he, in his goodness and in his love, chose to make a way for us. He would have been perfectly just after Adam and Eve sinned to wipe him off the map and start over. He would have been perfectly just in doing that. But it's a good thing for us. He's a God of mercy and a God of love and a God of grace as well. And so I wonder how many of us are willing to willing to do more of what Jesus did. Yeah, we see the differences. The differences aren't hard to spot. But are we willing to face the discomfort? It's, it's not easy talking to someone who's pretty similar to you about the gospel. Nonetheless, someone who's different. Nonetheless, someone who's, whose background is completely different from yours. Many of us who have grown up in church, that's a major stumbling block that we face. I, I didn't know divorce in my home. I didn't know. It was a very good home. My parents loved each other. My parents loved us. It was a happy home. Many people didn't face that. They didn't have that. And so as I go out and start talking to people, I find people who are just very different. Where their home was literally a hell on earth. Where they faced issues and problems that I can only imagine. And it can be a bit of a barrier. It shouldn't be. But because we're human, often it is. And we think and we wonder, how can, I, how can I overcome this barrier? They're just so different. But remember, just like these disciples saw with the Samaritans, there are these people that they're very different. But ultimately they're the same. Their need is Jesus. Are we willing to be the ones who are going to give them Jesus? Are we willing to be the ones to face the discomfort, to face our fear, to overcome the challenges, to be able to say, hey, I want to tell you about someone. His name is Jesus. Are we willing to be the ones to take that responsibility on ourselves and say, I'm going to do something about it? Your church here, I was talking with pastor before service. Y'all just recently had part in starting a church just in town here to help reach the African population. And that is awesome. That is incredible. That's, That's part of your church DNA, getting the gospel out, starting other churches. But it's, one, it's easy to be a part of a church that does things like that. And we say, yeah, our church does this. That's awesome. And yet hide behind that fact to do, to do little about it ourselves. Right. Are we willing to take personal responsibility on ourselves to do it? <clears throat> often it's, often it begins with just the first step. Are we willing to take a track from the church? If, if you'd say, you know, I'm not even sure I'd know how to talk to someone about the gospel. If someone came up to me, I'm not sure I'd be able to tell them, be able to lead them through the Romans road or what have you. I'm not sure I'd be able to do that. Often it begins with just the first step. Yeah. Be able to take a tract and say, hey, I just want to give you this invitation to my church where you can find out a bit more about Jesus. I want to tell you this about my church where, and there's some Bible verses on it that will let you know how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Are we willing to take the first steps? Are we willing to, to take that challenge to reach out to people who may be different from us, but in the sight of God, we're really all the same. And then people who need Jesus. Are we willing to be the ones to go and tell them? Amen. Let's pray together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.